Right now, God, I ask that these songs that we just sang in your name, that we would come to believe them through faith, that we are never alone, that we will never be alone, that while we walk in the battle, that you're there with us. God, right now, I ask that you would rise up the men in this church to be the type of men that when the enemy comes in telling lies, that we would be the men that would stomp his head, pick him up and twirl him around and pitch him out. We give you no authority in we give him no authority in this place. We, we counteract all those lies with truth, God. We are going to stand on your word. We're going to be the people you created us to be. And we ask that your glory would be seen in Hatton today, but in Avaz when we get back there. God, we love you and we give you all the honor and all the glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. <clears throat> Yeah, Richard hit them lights for me, my old eyes. My old eyes, even with glasses, I can't manufacture light to see. Okay, so we're going to be in Acts again. I'm going to be in chapter 5, and I'm going to read 17 through 42, and I am super pumped, so I'm going to try to stay calm right now so we can get wound up later. I think I got a little extra coffee and a little extra sugar in me, so... I'm ready to go. Acts 5, 17 through 42. <clears throat> Man, I'm going to apologize because some of this came out Friday night. Um, I've been thinking about this all week and praying into this, and I'm ready. But the high priest rose up. Now, remember, here is many signs and wonders were done uh, at the hands of the apostle. All of this stuff's happening. Um, the Lord keeps adding multitudes of men and women to their numbers. The sick are being healed. The, you know, all of that stuff's happening. Let's see. They're bringing the sick, the afflicted with unclean spirits, and they are all being healed. And then this is what happens. But the high priest rose up and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came and those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported. We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors, but when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came and told them, Look, <laughs> I love this stuff. Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council, and the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. Yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. 
The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging on the tree. God exalted him at the right hand as leader and savior to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things so that the Holy Spirit, whom God has given to those who obey him. But when they heard this, they were enraged. I'm sure there was gnashing teeth and tearing of garments. I'm just, I'm just sure of that. They were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, for before these days, Theodos rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who followed him were dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in the present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. You know what's funny to me is I can tell you exactly where I was the first time I read this scripture. And part of that is because I was in a place that I don't normally read scripture. I was in Arkansas in a little, close to a little town called Yellville, Arkansas, which none of you will have any idea where that is. But my uncle owned some land in there. We went camping. <clears throat> and my boys were with me, but my boys were little. And we were in the tent. I was trying to get my boys to go to sleep. We were laying in my tent, and I was reading this scripture. And it's not just the place, but it's that little bit at the end that says they were beaten. Other translations will say they were flogged. And they left that place rejoicing for being deemed worthy of suffering that hit me. And I said then, that is the Christian that I want to be. So I'm going to jump into this. I'm, <clears throat> I'm going to try and stay calm and just, and just talk and teach for just a little bit. Because at the beginning of this, you see something happen. You see that um, things are happening here. The apostles are healing people. They're preaching Jesus. People are joining them. And it rises up jealousy in, let's say, the church people, right? Let's say the religious people. You, you see jealousy rise up. You're also going to see jealousy and fear. I want, to, I want to talk just a minute. I looked up this word that's used for jealousy, and sort of a, a counteractive of that is rivalry, is sort of what it 
That word jealousy means it rose up like a rivalry between the two. <clears throat> and um, this jealousy and rivalry, I believe, stems from fear, right? Now, something I do want to point out really quick is that perfect love drives out all fear, okay? We talked about, as men the other night, some of us were kind of open and vulnerable and shared. And, and if, if we are loving the way we're supposed to love, that love will drive out the fear of you all being able to come to us when you need prayer, when you've done something bad. You won't run from us, you will run to us because the perfect love of Jesus coming from us won't cause you to be afraid of the way we will respond to you. You'll be able to share anything with us and know that we love you and that we're here for you. And that's, that's really what we need to seek to be is per- people who love like Jesus loves. But this jealousy and rivalry, I'm going to talk a little bit here for just a second about the church setting, and then I'm going to get into like an individual thing in just a second. But what can happen in church as we start becoming the people we're supposed to be, and men, I, I talked about this a little bit the other night. Um, if we see somebody stepping into their gifts and their callings, what it can do is it can cause a jealousy and a rivalry that will cause us to squash the, the, the gifts being used in church. I could use, let's say, the worship team. Let's say you've got a worship team that's functioning well and doing good, and they invite a new member on, and I've actually seen this happen. The new member comes on, and they're more talented than the other people on the team, and suddenly it's like, uh-oh, we don't want this to happen. Because if this person is more gifted than me and it makes me look bad, it threatens my position. Pastors will do this too, okay? If I am going to be gone one Sunday, and I, I had Jamie fill in for me, the, the normal thing for a pastor is like, uh-oh, Jamie did too good, and he's threatening my job, so next time I'm going to find somebody that's not quite as good because if the people think he's better than me, I'm going to lose my job. You see what I'm saying? And so this causes us either to suppress the gifts and not allow people to step into their callings and anointings. We could do this in Sunday school too. Like, uh-oh, Mitch is a better teacher, better communicator than me, so I can't let him teach because if he does, then people are going to take, he's going to take my spot. When in reality, what it should be is like, oh man, he's anointed to do this better than me, so if he's better than me, then I'm going to get freer because of that. So I want to set under that. But it can also cause not just jealousy of that, it can cause a rivalry where suddenly... If I'm a prophet in the church and another prophet rises up who seems better than me, a rivalry rises up, so I'm going to out-prophesy the prophet. And then all of a sudden, I'm off in the weeds talking about all kinds of crazy stuff because I just want to beat the other prophet to the punch. You see what I'm saying? And it can cause this rivalry where suddenly, if Jamie's better than me, I've got to come next week with even more stuff. And then all of a sudden, I'm out in the weeds off Scripture because I'm trying to compete with somebody when what we should be doing is using all of our gifts. You know what I'm saying? All of our gifts should build up and edify the body. And what should happen as we do this, as we're all coming into our, our who we're supposed to be and we're coming into our giftings and our callings, that all of a sudden we become the body of Christ. So when unbelievers come in, they see a better picture of Jesus than we can do when we're just a piece here and a piece there, and we look like some weird Picasso painting or something. 
is Picasso the right painter? He's the one that paints the weird stuff. Look at that. Look at that. Look at that. Come on now. I'm all culture over here. Okay, so... Um, <laughs> so I... I, I, I'm going to shift gears now for a second and take us out of the church setting. I want to talk about us as individuals. Um, here's the things that I see happen, okay, in, in the church setting. Let's say the Bible talks about us. We're supposed to be equally yoked when we're in relationships, especially as spouses, right? So let's say you get married and you're, maybe you believe. I'll, my wife and I were this type of person, right? We were believers, but we weren't church attenders. We weren't, I would say I had never really accepted Jesus. I believed, but I thought that's for old people, you know, like, like on your deathbed, then you accept Jesus and punch that ticket to heaven. But we live it up until then, right? I mean, this was my mindset. Church is for old people and I'll wait. And maybe I am one of those old people now. I just thought of that. Anyway, <clears throat> anyway, now I'm sad. Where was I? Oh, so I'm just kidding. Um, but what happened, like, like with her and I, is we're believers, but we're not like participating believers. And I would say for, I can't speak for her, but for myself, I wasn't saved, okay? I had been to church a lot of times and felt really, I mean, I had been shamed and frightened of hell a whole bunch of times, but I had never surrendered my life to Jesus. And so um, my wife and I got married, and I think, I think we had Mason at the time, maybe. And my brother was going to a church that he really liked, and my mom started going, and this may seem odd to some of you, but my wife is closer to my mom than me. Um, I think both of my parents like her better than me. And I mean, most people do, but, but her and my mom was really close and she started going to church with them. And I didn't want to go, right? Because I like to hunt, I like to fish, I like to whatever, anything else other than be in church. And she would go to church and this pastor would preach for two hours. Am I exaggerating? The church service would be two hours long. And she would come home like, man, it was so good. You need to come next week. And I'm like, yeah, right. I'm not going there. Two hours? I'm not saying, two, you know what I could do in two hours? How many fish I could catch in two hours? How many football games I could watch in the amount of time you're there, you know? And, and she loved it. She's like, yeah, but you don't feel like you're there that long. He's funny. He tells stories. It's so good. And so um, slowly over time, my wife, like, like she was excited about it, but slowly over time, as I poo-pooed on it, it, it started to pull her away from it. And I'm not too proud anymore to admit that part of that was jealousy on my behalf because I love spending time with my wife. I didn't want to waste, waste my time going to church. And so I was somewhat jealous of that because this is two hours where maybe her and I, I like to get her to hunt and fish with me um, because I like to spend time with her. And so that was two hours. And so it's like this jealousy happened, right? And so now let's call this persecution to a certain degree I persecuted her, right, by, I said poo-poo, so I'll stick with that. I poo-pooed on that for her, like, you're wasting two hours of your time going to church. And what it did then, it got her to go less and less and eventually quit going, and it killed anything that Christ was trying to do in her life, okay? That happens, okay? That's going to happen as you become a believer. When I first accept Christ, people around me aren't going to understand it. And so some people are going to try to poo-poo on that, okay? I'm sticking with that because it's a cleaner version of what tries to come out sometimes. And so, so this will happen with your significant other. This will happen with coworkers. 
This will happen with your friends, especially if you're like a partier or a, a really vulgar person or you like to tell inappropriate jokes or I'm not talking about myself, but if you're one of those people who does that stuff and all of a sudden you stop doing that, the people around you are not going to like it. And so they're going to, to some degree, has anybody ever experienced that where people start like saying, what's wrong with you? And a lot of times they'll say, what are you becoming one of those Bible thumpers now or a holy roller or Maybe these are old terms. I don't know what they say anymore. What, what's the hip lingo now? But, but you can see that happen. And so this, this will happen. I want you to understand that. And so um, not only then, but even then when her and I came to Christ, we did it at the same time. And it was a God timing thing. But at different times when we first started, I was more excited than her. And then at times, she was more excited than me, and there's this battle between that. You know what I'm saying? And part of it is, is because she is my person on earth. My wife, I'm not just trying to earn brownie points, by the way. I mean, I'll take them if I can get them, but she is my person, and so she was always my number one. So as God, and listen to me, husbands and wives, God has to take that position. He has to. But as that starts to happen, it causes this back and forth. So, so it'll be back and forth where like, oh man, now all of a sudden we've been married all this time. Now what, you want to go to men's group and you want to stay till what time? You know what I'm saying? You, you want to go to a worship night and do that? I don't want to do that. You'll see this. You'll see it back and forth. And it's, I want you to give your significant other grace during this time, right? Because there's a balance and you have to find it, okay? I want you to understand that there is a balance. Your family is your number one ministry. And it, it was a struggle for Desiree and I figuring out when we started in youth group because teens like to take a lot of your time. And so when you, when you spend as much time text messaging and Facebooking and doing all of the things, you have to find that balance. I'm going to tell you, I've said this before, I'm going to keep saying it until it takes hold. Christians know is a very important word for you to put in your vocabulary, okay? Don't do things that are just good. Look for what's best, all right? So it's great to serve the church, but when you're going to serve the church, don't just do the first thing that pops up because it seems good. Look for where God is, is, God is pulling you and calling you and step into that because when you step into who He wants you to be, the sky's the limit, Okay? And so there is going to be this pull. There will also be this pull if you have like adult kids who may not be believers, who have never seen you as a believer. As you start to um, do more church stuff, they're going to push back against that, okay? Or your, your parents maybe. Your parents are like, man, we want to do Sunday dinners, and now all of a sudden you're staying at church until 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And you know what I'm saying? There's going to be a pushback. And I'm telling you that is... It's a form of persecution. It's not being flogged and imprisoned and all of these things. But there is a pushback there that you're going to experience. Not just when you're a new believer, but as you pursue Jesus. You, by the way, should never stop pursuing Jesus. Because you're never going to reach the end of Jesus. Okay, 
So I've, I'm talking about, okay, I've been talking about your family, your friends, but you're also going to run into religious people. And I want to talk about religious people for just a minute. When I say the word religious people in a church setting, that seems strange for me to poo-poo on religious people. So let me explain to you what I mean by religious people. Religious people focus on rules. They focus on systems. They focus on programs. They focus on the doing, okay? So doing being, they're going to focus on, are you tithing? Are you attending? Are you serving? And are you following me? Okay, this is what religious people do. And religious people will have a tendency to focus on sin and to talk about sin because sin keeps you in just enough bondage that you stay beholden to them. So you're going to have to keep coming here because I can help you through this week. You're going to have to keep coming here and putting money in the offering because we know better than you how to do your offering. You come here and you follow me because the way I do things is the right way. You understand what I'm saying? And so Jesus did not die so that you could have religion. Jesus did not die so that you would go to church. Jesus did not die so that you would serve the church, so that you would tithe, so that you would follow people or have programs or systems. Okay, So Jesus died because you were dead and He wanted you to be alive. Jesus died not so you could have religion, but so that you could have a relationship. Think about this. You've been grafted into His family. You and I, in Christ, are now sons and daughters, co-heirs. I'm Jesus' brother. Is that cool? You're Jesus' sister. That's pretty cool. Okay. <clears throat> and so you think about having a big brother, right? Well, that's, this is just a rabbit trail. But when I was a freshman and went to high school, my brother had just graduated. So we weren't in high school together. You know, freshman hazing, I don't know that that's a thing anymore. It didn't do that to me much because I sort of had a reputation of punching people in the mouth. But I can remember in particular being at a basketball game one night and sitting in the bleachers and this guy who was a senior and I was a freshman, and he was actually a lot bigger than me, wanted to sit where I was sitting. And he goes, Smithy, move. I'm going to sit there. And I'm like, no, I'm sitting here. And he goes, you're going to move or I'm going to move you. And I said, if you're going to move me, you're going to move me. So he stood up to grab me, and I just grabbed the bleachers and held on. And he, he never could move me, so instead he sat in front of me and leaned against and just tried to annoy me. Listen. Mm -mm. This guy's stubborn, Okay. You're not going to annoy me enough. So I never moved. It was just annoying. And what I didn't know is that somebody told my brother that that happened. And what I didn't know is that my brother went to that guy and said, Hey, I heard about that, and I'm going to let it slide. But if it happens again, I'm coming back. And I didn't realize till a long time later that he wasn't messing with me anymore. And then somebody later told me that that was why. And that's what I'm thinking about Jesus right now. The enemy's going to come in and try and persecute you. He's going to try and lie to you. He's going to try to hold you down. He's going to try and shut you up. And you just need to say your big brother's name. And when you say your big brother's name, he's going to run. Because he knows. He knows.
anyway. <clears throat> so, what we have to do, what we have to do as is, is this congregation is not focus on sin. We're not going to focus on the gifts. We're not going to focus on church. We're not going to focus on appearance. We're going to focus on Jesus. Okay? And what's going to happen as we focus on Jesus and we make Jesus the prize, Jesus is the reward, we're going to get closer to Jesus. But here's, here's what I've found, and this is an unfortunate thing to say about church, but the closer you get to Jesus, the less people will be in your inner circle. The more you pursue Jesus, the more persecution you're going to face, even from inside the church. Because religious people are one of the main ones that are saying the holier-than-thou thing, right? If I'm going to church, but I don't have freedom in my life, and all of a sudden I see somebody moving in freedom and worshiping Jesus in a way that I don't understand or praying in a way that I don't understand, I'm going to say, well, look at Jamie. He's all holier than thou now. Did you hear him? He prays in the King James, right? He, he thinks he's all that. I've actually never heard Jamie do that. But that seems to be what a lot of religious people do when you start praying, you slip into the King James. <laughs> you also, okay, so what you're going to get is you're going to get less people in your inner circle. And I know that sounds crazy, but I've experienced this in my life. Everybody's on board when you're talking about Jesus for salvation. In the church setting, that doesn't bother anybody. But when you start talking about Jesus in other ways, different people start looking at you weird. And what I've found is, the closer I get to Jesus, the more freedom I feel. Okay? The closer I get to religion, the more bondage I feel. Because all of a sudden, I'm worried about sin, I'm worried about the law, I'm worried about, am I attending church enough? Am I praying enough? Am I reading my Bible enough? Those are all things that are not bad, unless they're my focus. And if they become my focus, then when I don't do them, what it does is it causes shame inside of me. And what does shame inside of me do? Shame inside of me pushes me away from God, not draws me toward God. So as I get closer to Jesus, I experience more freedom, but I'm also going to experience more persecution. Religious people want you just free enough to know you're bound. Because when you're just bound enough, they know what, how to yank the chain to keep you under control. Because really, most everything I'm talking about stems from fear and control. And control stems from fear. I need to control the congregation. Not because you might say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing necessarily, but it's because I'm afraid. I told you before, I... I'm not speaking about myself, but this is what happens in the church setting. Is that if I let Ivan speak and Ivan speaks better than me, what happens to me? If we start live worshiping and all of a sudden Elizabeth and Paige are up here and you can feel an anointing and the worship's happening and people are moved, does it overshadow me? 
And so now I have to hold them down just enough so I can stay just a little more elevated to them, right? If you all see me doing that, throw stones at me or something. <clears throat> Knock me off my pedestal because I don't ever want to be on a pedestal. And here's what I want you to understand. is Persecution is the enemy's plan to squash what God is doing. And so let's start with Jesus. All right? Jesus is there. He's doing the thing. He's healing people. He's raising the dead. He's giving sight to the blind. He's doing the thing. And people are flocking to Him in droves. So the enemy, listen to me, this wasn't Judas doing it. And it wasn't just religious people. It says that Satan entered Judas. And Satan says, I'm going to stop this now. I'm going to kill Jesus. I'm not just going to like silently kill him to shut his message up. I'm going to brutally do it and I want it to be on full display so that everybody can see this so that they will all sit down and they will all shut up and they will all forget all about this because none of them want to go through that. Right? Sort of backfired on him because what he didn't understand was the full plan of God was that Jesus would go to that cross so that he would die, so that he would be resurrected, so that Satan's any power or authority he might have had just got kicked out from under him. And now I'm going to take a scripture you've all heard and maybe spin it around on you. When Jesus says, I saw Satan fall like lightning, we all take that as in the past tense where Satan and a third of the angels fell, and we think that's the past tense. Jesus is being prophetic and saying, I've already seen his demise. I already know where his end is. And so, is his end already? No. But it's begun. Okay? There's coming a time when he's going to be thrown in the lake of fire. He is not ruling over hell. He is not in there torturing you in hell. He is punished in hell, just like yada, yada, yada. And so then what we're going to find out here that as persecution rises up against these believers, Satan is in agreement with the religious establishment. Understand that Satan is in our systems, okay? I want you to understand like governmental systems. He's, he's in the world. He's the prince of this world. And so Satan is involved in that. And what they think is that this persecution is going to squash the church. It's going to make people sit down and shut up and fall back in line. But what we're going to see is that as real persecution rises up, the church scatters. And then instead of having one forest fire you might be able to control, now you've got dozens of them scattered out all around in other countries. Because what we have a tendency to forget is that these people who are coming in droves to the message aren't actually from Jerusalem. They came there for a Jewish holiday. Now something has happened, so they've stayed longer. People are selling their stuff so they can stay longer. And now when persecution happens, they go back home. And what do they take home with them? Jesus. And so that's what we're supposed to do as the church. That just like jumped into my brain. When you leave here, you should go home and take Jesus with you into your homes and start little forest fires there. <clears throat> okay, sorry. <clears throat> Sometimes I have to get my emotions in check. Because this, I told you at the beginning that that's the Christian that I want to be. I want to be the Christian that's put in jail and beaten and flogged and 
said, don't go and talk about Jesus. And I run back out and talk about Jesus. But I want to be honest with you right now that one of the only times I feel like I came under real <clears throat> difficulty like people were really against me and I walked out that my wife and my family went home. We were treated into our home and we watched church online for a week or two and I don't like that. I never did it during COVID but I went home and did that and we did it for a week or two and I'm like, I don't get much out of this and so then for two or three weeks, guess what this guy did? I wasn't telling people about Jesus. This guy was on Sunday mornings right back to his old self just chilling on the couch, watching football or whatever, until my wife said to me, what are we doing? I, just being honest, I wrote down right here, I almost stopped. When she said, what are we doing? Have we just given up on this? Are we going to let our family just quit going to church? Are we, are we not seeking Jesus anymore? Are we not doing anything? And I got mad because how dare a woman stand up? And, and we're, I'm, the, I'm the priest of this house, right? You women are supposed to submit under men. Uh-oh, I'm getting lots of dirty looks now. I'm just kidding. I did get mad, but it wasn't at her. It was at me because it, it, didn't, it, it convicted me because she was right. I was being weak and I was being apathetic and I was feeling sorry for myself. And so she said, and I said, what would you have me do? I feel called to ministry, but I have never been to seminary, so who in the world is going to hire me as a preacher? What am I supposed to do? You want to go to a... Well, I mean, we went, instead then we went to the crossing the next week. My kids loved it. I hated it. I mean, nothing wrong with the message, nothing wrong with none of that, but I just looked around at all of these people and I thought, look at all these gifts, all these people who who are called to do something, and they, they'll never be seen. So we went there one week. <laughs> and then I, don't, I think then we started church in our house. Okay, let's, let me get away from that. <clears throat> I'm going to get off in the weeds, but, but, but here's, here's where I went. I was going to study out a bunch of stuff about angels because I think it's interesting how angels show up a lot in the book of Acts and do these things. But I didn't get around to that this week. And this morning as I was sitting on the couch finishing my notes, it's like, like God hit me right in the head and said, this is what I want you to say to these people today. In, in this story God sent, it says it, He sent an angel of the Lord who opened the prison doors. This has happened in your life, only He didn't send an angel of the Lord. He sent the angel of the Lord. He sent His Son. Okay, so in the Bible, when you see the angel of the Lord, it's Jesus, not just an angel, right? So He sent the Son of God here to open the prison doors to let you out. To roll back the stone on your tomb to let you walk out so that you could walk. And what does He say? He says, um, when the angel of the Lord lets them out of jail, it says you go back over there to the temple and you tell them about this new life. That's what Jesus has done for you. God sent him here so that you could go and tell them about this new life that you're living. It's not just that he sent him. The Bible says he chose you. You didn't even choose him. 
He chose you and He appointed you so that you would go and bear fruit, true fruit that lasts. He chose you, He loves you, and He has saved you. And He has set you free. When I said set you free, how many of you had something pop up in your mind that's bondage? Did anybody have that? Did anybody immediately think of something in your brain that you think has you in bondage? Stop it. Stop it. We've got the church backwards. I want you, if you, you don't hear anything else today, Jesus didn't see Peter with his fishing nets and say, hey, Peter, put down your fishing nets and go home and do a Bible study, learn enough scripture, and then come here and follow me. He didn't say, hey, Peter, go repent of all of your sins and get yourself all cleaned up and then come here and follow me and serve me. He didn't say that. He said, Peter, you lay that down and you come and follow me right now exactly as you are. You come follow me. And as you're following me and we're doing what we're supposed to be doing, I'm going to take care of all of those things along the way. I'll teach you when you start to fall. I'll pick you up when you're drowning. I'll do those things in you so that I can do these things through you. For me personally, when I... But the number one way I saw this happen, like I discredited myself all of the time. Like when I was at church in the church setting and people liked me and they didn't know me very well, only just in the church setting. That works better, by the way. When you want to be a pastor, if you can find people that didn't know you BC, it's easier because they'll accept you when they didn't know how foolish you were <clears throat> or hear the things you say to your kids at home during the week. But that's neither here nor there. But but you'll find that they'll receive words from you. But for me personally, we would do family reunions and my Aunt Molly always wanted to do a church service on Sunday morning and she always wanted me to preach to my family. And I, I didn't like it. And I always told my wife, I don't want to do it. In fact, to be honest with you, I never really liked it when my parents came to church when I preached. I, I didn't really like it. Why? because they knew me before and I thought there's no way they're going to receive anything that I say or take it seriously. And then one time at one of those family gatherings, I was just preaching the word like I do, just talking, and I had an uncle who I thought wouldn't receive that was more engaged than I think I've ever seen anyone in any church service I've ever been to. He was in hook, line, and sinker. And as soon as I was done, he came straight to me. And he's like, man, I've never experience that before. What's weird is he asked me to preach his funeral when he passes away. But, I mean, that's weird that you, you, you get that. But after that, it's that I realized that all of that time I thought I was holding myself, I, I thought I was saying I wasn't worthy. What I was actually doing was discrediting what God could do through me because of who I used to be. Not just who I used to be, who I am right now. And suddenly I saw that God could take me in a situation that I thought was impossible and do something, even if it was tiny, to do something that I couldn't possibly do on my own. He could do it through me. And I realized what I was doing in my life was not holding God myself down. I was holding God down. That's what we're doing in the church. 
as you, as you become to know Christ and you're pursuing Him and you get closer to Him, I, I know that at times you get the feeling that you're supposed to share with somebody or you're supposed to step into something and that, that voice inside of your head says, uh-uh, not yet. You're not, you're not holy enough yet. You're not righteous enough yet. You just sit there and be quiet just a little bit longer. I'm going to tell you to ignore that voice in your head. And as you step into, listen, we don't have to question what Jesus is doing. We know what Jesus is doing around us. As you step into what He's doing, and you focus on Him, He's taking care of that junk. He's cleaning you up. When you're, you're not even focused on being cleaned up, you're not, you're not praying and saying, God, remove this filth from me. He's doing it. You're not pacing around the walls in your life and blowing your shofars and shouting and doing all that stuff. Jesus is tearing them down brick by brick, and you don't even realize it. And I actually don't think he's doing it from the top. I think he's doing it from the bottom. So that all of a sudden they collapse down. And then you, re you realize how free you truly are. And if he has set you free, it says it is you are free indeed. That means that thing in your life that you're struggling with that causes you to have shame, I want you to rebuke the shame. I want you to say, Jesus died for that sin, and so I am just as holy today as I was yesterday. I'm just as righteous today as I was yesterday because it has nothing to do with me, and it has everything to do with Him. I want you to take those times when the people around you don't understand the way you're pursuing Jesus, and they might be poo-pooing on what you're doing, and I want you to take it and you to say, man, I'm just glad that I've been deemed worthy to have a little bit of persecution for His name. Because if we do what we're called to do as a church, I'm telling you, you're going to get pushback. You're going to have people, church people, they're going to come against you that are going to say, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. That's not how you do it. Blah, 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 blah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, guess what? I'm free indeed. It's time for you and I to start proclaiming the good news of Jesus. It's time for you and I to stand up. I want you to notice that they say, you're, you guys are trying to put the blood of that man on my hands. And right away, they say, you killed him? But he died so that Israel would repent. I think it's time for the church to stand up and say, Jesus died so that America would repent. It's time for us to stand up and say, it's time for the church to repent and come back to Jesus and make Jesus the focus again. The angel, an angel of the Lord came and said, you come out of this prison and you go back into the temple and you start telling them about this new life. It's time for you to walk out the prison doors that are open. Ain't nothing holding you in there anymore. And if you think there is, then you're underestimating what Jesus has done. The door is open. The chains are off. The handcuffs might be hanging there, but they're unlatched. You need to walk out that door. And then what you need to do is you need to start telling people about this new life. That's your testimony. 
by the blood of your, the Lamb and the word of your testimony, we shall overcome. You're going to overcome sin in your life when you start telling your testimony. I may not be who I'm supposed to be, but I'm not who I was. I may not be as alive as I'm supposed to be, but I'm aliver than I was. Aliver, that's not even a word. <clears throat> I went to a Falls Elementary. Come on, that's pretty good for me. God did not give us a spirit of fear and a spirit of timidity. He gave us freedom. He gave us boldness. He gave you the Holy Spirit. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. There is freedom to stand. There is freedom to fall. There is a freedom to stumble and there is a freedom to walk. There is a freedom to fall and jump back up and say, Amen, brother, I just fell, but I'm back up running again. That's the end of my notes. He gave you the Holy Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. You're free right now. Right now in your life, you are free to be who He's called you to be. Choosing Jesus and doing this is the worst thing and the best thing I've ever done in my life. Jesus said, before you follow me, count the cost. And I, that's the way I'm going to finish it because there's going to be a cost. Life isn't going to be rainbows and tulips and raindrops on wisp. What is it? Raindrops on roses and whiskers on kittens. It's not going to be floating on heaven and playing little harps with wings and all that. It's not. Life is going to get harder, but it's going to get so much better. Life's going to get harder and you're going to hit resistance and you're going to hit resistance and then you're going to have breakthrough. And then you're going to run for a little bit and you're going to be like, oh, this is cool. And then, bam, you're going to hit another wall. But the thing about that next wall you hit, it's not prison. There's a doorway, and the door is open. You're just going to have to find it. You have to walk down the wall. I've got to embarrass my kids at least a couple times a week, right? I'm shimmying down the wall, right? Oh, here's a door, and it's open. I can walk right through it. But you choose. I mean, you choose freedom or bondage. You choose a life. Listen, you are going to serve something. You're going to serve, you're either going to serve sin and death and your own bondage and your own flesh, or you're going to choose to bow your knee to Jesus and serve Him. And sometimes I know that I always feel weird when I say this because I don't think pastors should say it. 
But I know in the moment, sin feels fun and it feels free. But it's just bondage. It's just shame. It's distance. It's all of the things that we don't want. And so, we're going we're gonna to sing another song. Did we set up communion stuff or did we not? Let's do it. Let's get some communion. I want to I take communion. I'll come back here and help you in just a second. I, I want you guys, I'm sorry, I forgot to bring that up earlier. My brain goes a million different ways. <clears throat> you know, for a guy that doesn't think very much, my brain does a lot of running around. Today I want you to choose. Some of you have been moving along and you've gotten to a place in your life where you're, you're stuck and you're stagnant. And that's, that's really the, the whole thought process when I walked in this room today. I can't smell anything, but everybody says it kind of smells musty in here. Not everybody, but mostly my wife. She has a very sensitive nose. And I, I thought to myself, like, we get there. And in our Christian walk, sometimes we get, we get stale and complacent and we start standing still. And if you're there... Today is the day I want, I want those dry bones to come back to life. If you are, today, if you feel like you're in prison and you're in chains and you're in bondage and you need freedom, I want today to be that day when you say, I'm walking out that door. I don't know what's going to happen when I get outside of it, but I'm going to step outside of it. I'm at least going to take a look around and see where I can go from here. Today is that day. If... If you need prayer in that, my prayer has no more power than your prayer. I just want you to understand that. The Holy Spirit that's inside of me is the same as that's active inside of you, whether you're willing to admit it or not. It's there. It's, it's there. It's just there. So you don't have to come up here for prayer. You can, you, can, you can surrender your life right there in your pew. I can actually say pew this week instead of just chair. That's kind of... That's actually kind of cool. I don't get to do that very often. I will remind you that we want to pray for healing. If you need healing and you want prayer for that, we're here to do that. We're going to play a song, and I'm going to open this up as this song goes along. If we're praying, that's fine. They're, they're filling up communion cups. I want to take communion because I want you guys to sign off on this. And I'm going to take communion today as us signing like we're, we're signing an agreement that, that this is what we're pursuing. We're pursuing Jesus. If you're called to be a hand, then you're going to step into being a hand. If you're called to be a foot, you're going to step into being a foot. If you're called to be the mouth, then you're going to step into being a mouth. If you're, if, Everybody's waiting for me to say something weird. If you're called to be an eye or an ear or... The, you know what I'm saying... If you're called to be the one that kicks the excrement out, then that's what we're going to step into being. I, can't, I just can't stop myself sometimes. But today there's going to be freedom in this house. I said to the men Friday night, men, we're going to start looking for opportunities for you to step into what God's calling you to be. I'm saying the same thing to the women this morning and the kids. 
We're going to start looking for ways to serve one another. We're going to start looking for ways to fulfill the calling in our lives. We're going to start actively pursuing that. We're not looking for people to clean toilets. We're not looking for people to make the coffee in the mornings or set up the chairs. We're looking for people to step into the calling, to be who they are, and we're going to create a platform to, for us to be free to do that. And here's something I want to say as we move into that. You're free to do it wrong. We're coming into a space, and I said this morning that there's a time, we're going to get into this in the book of Acts, where Paul is called, like you all know who Paul is, right? The biggest, one of the biggest dudes in the Bible, the biggest evangelist. And when Paul has that Damascus Road experience, and all of a sudden he's got all this gusto, he goes in front of the people, and he preaches, and they try to kill him. And he has to flee. And what you find is that Paul runs away, and he goes away for three years, and he prepares himself before he comes back into ministry. When the, when the disciples were with Jesus, and Jesus sent them out to do things, sometimes they would come back like, yeah, that didn't work. And he would regroup, and he would move forward. What I'm telling you is that I did stuff, a lot of stuff wrong. I'm not saying that I don't still, by the way. But in serving and doing the things that I did, I did things wrong and I figured it out. I, I had to figure out how to juggle family and ministry. I had to figure out how to juggle work and ministry. I had to figure these things out. By the way, I just don't like to work, so it's, that's a harder juggle than anything. We're going to figure it out together. There's freedom to fall on our face. And we're going to be those people who love perfectly so that the perfect love casts that fear out. So that when you fail, that you come back here you're like, man... Man, brother, I thought I was given the right word and I think I said the wrong thing and I hurt somebody and we're going to come back together and say, okay, well, we're just going to regroup and we're going to pray together and we're going to relaunch and we're going to do it right next time. We're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to lift each other up. We're not going to be a church that backbites and holds down and causes shame and division and all of those things. I've said a lot. Father God, right now, I just want your spirit to move among your people. Some of your people this morning are still sitting in that prison cell and the door is open and they're looking at it right now with fear in their heart because they don't know what happens when they walk through it. I ask right now for the boldness for them to walk through that door. I ask God if there's somebody that's walked out of that prison cell, but they've walked out into the yard of the jail, and now there's a whole other fence with barbed wire on top, and there's, there's guards in the tower that are up there, and they're shouting down shame and condemnation and saying, don't you dare walk out of this fence because you are not ready for that. I ask that you just have them look around and realize that they got blank guns up there, and the gate to that fence is open. I'm asking right now that they'll walk out of that fence out into the open, out into the freedom where they can breathe real air, the breath of life that you put in them. I ask God today that we would be a people who choose the freedom that you have provided. And that today, right here in a dusty, musty old building, and in the even smaller town of Hatton, Missouri, that there would be a memory stone implanted in your people. That right now, right here at this point, while I'm still not exactly what you want me to be, I'm not who I was before I walked through those doors. 
Well, I ask for boldness in your people that they would, if they need to come forward for prayer, they need to speak something out, that you would give them the boldness to do that. I ask right now, God, that if there's someone here who needs physical healing, that you would supernaturally anoint our hands, that we would take your power and would pass through us into them, that there would be healing in this place. Spiritual healing, medical, mental healing, or physical healing. And God, that right now that it wouldn't be us that get any honor or any glory, but that we would know that you were here in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. So you guys want to come forward, that's fine. If, if you don't, you go ahead and grab your elements for communion, and then we'll all come back together and we'll meet here, and we'll take communion together probably when the song's over. So let the Lord lead you. There's freedom. There's freedom to be led by the Spirit this morning.